Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show today, Jeff Brown. I first came across Jeff's work when I was actually at a workshop with Anaya Sophia from the south of France. She was on the show right back at the beginning of this year, actually the first week in January. And the piece of work that we're going to talk about sometime on the show today was apologies to the sacred feminine or divine feminine from a warrior in transition, which I think is just an absolutely wonderful title. And Jeff will explain what that's all about when we get to that part of the show. So, Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Peter. I've been looking forward to the show for some time. (laughs) Good. So have I, actually. And uh, all men listening today, stay tuned. You need to, you need to listen to this show in, in particular. So, Jeff, I'm really interested to find out what happened to you because I know you were a criminal lawyer um, to, begin, to begin with. So, so what, what brought you onto the, the path of uh, the work you're doing now? Well, I always had visions of path, and law really felt like the first step on the journey. I had a lot of glimpses in my adolescent years that I would work with this particular criminal lawyer in Canada named Eddie Greenspan, and I ended up working with him. But I also had glimpses of the next stage of my journey, which included uh, studying psychology and ultimately writing. And um, you know, and the, the step from from Eddie and criminal trial law and just about to being called to the bar to this point in my life where there were millions of different stages in the direction of what I call true path or soul scriptures and sacred purpose. And uh, it was just clear that my unfolding had to happen in the direction that it, that it took. And, and what obviously um, coming to the end of doing that work was a major step in your life. So what was that like for you? To to come to the end of uh, which which work? Well, in terms of this relative safe and secure work oh. of being a lawyer and then stepping yeah. off that and doing what you do today. Yeah, I mean, I think because I came from uh, poverty and uh, essentially came from poverty and really have a strong survivalist vibration, homelessness, anxiety, all the rest of it, that was one other level that I had to overcome. Um, You know, I had left, uh, you know, from where I came from to become a criminal trial lawyer, articling with Eddie, who's very famous in Canada, really 
being positioned to become a prominent trial lawyer, you know, that really should have been enough, you know, and oftentimes I wished it was enough, but there was this other part of me that I called Little Missy or the little voice that knows that just kept pulling me in a direction originally of an unknown path. It, the voice really just said, don't do law, you're done with that path, it's over. And But I wasn't entirely clear as to how I was going to get some other place. And I had to spend a whole lot of time in the not knowing. Um, and still then was pulled back in the direction of trial law, because I loved law. I wasn't someone who hated it. I wasn't someone who did it because his mother told him to do it. I, I, was, I had a deep call into trial law. It was easy and natural and comfortable for me. Familiar, like I'd done it for many lifetimes. So it was a much more complicated journey. And, and really, I would say only in the last five to seven years have I fully embraced um, the knowing that I absolutely made the right decision. I intuitively sensed that I had, but now I feel completely clear that I, I moved exactly in the direction that my soul wanted to. In that sense, was similar. I left my job as a school principal eight years ago, and, and like you, sort of knew deep down that it was the right decision. But oh, it's only in, in the last little while that yeah, abs- this is absolutely right. right. So, so tell our listeners what you actually do. What 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 is your focus? Uh, really, it's writing. It's well, there's a few things now. I mean, I made this film, Carmageddon, uh, and that took some bit of time. And uh, two soul shaping came out in uh, the bookstore edition came out in 2009. My, I put out a quotes book of my popular Facebook quotes in the fall last year of Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground. And now I'm, I'm primarily managing all of that. I mean, there's been so much energy around the writing. And I'm writing a higher consciousness love story that should be ready for next year. I'm setting up a publishing house so that I don't have to go back into the traditional system um, trying to arrange distribution. And, and I'm starting a movement called Love It Forward, loveitforward.net that should be up soon. So I'm, I'm really on fire with my purpose and um, really just trying to create space every day to get back to the computer and work on the book. So Soul Shaping, A Journey of Self-Creation, just talk uh, a little bit about that and and, uh, help our listeners understand what you mean by soul shaping, because it's also the name of your website. So it's obviously an important expression for you. It is. You know, it just came became clear to me over the course of the journey. I mean, it, it was so confusing for a long time, but that what I was doing was trying to identify what I call soul scriptures or sacred purpose or what James Hillman referred to as the innate image in one of his books. This idea that we come into the incarnation with particular callings, archetypal transformations, and key emotional issues we're here to work through to the extent that we can honor those pieces, um, excavate them and humanifest them, we transform spiritually, we get one step closer to wholeness. So for me, it was like this idea that my soul came in in a particular state or form, my individual soul, not the universal soul, but, and that to the extent that I could find my way into these paths and purposes and really live and embody them, that I was expanding my soul or expanding my spiritual container um, one step farther. So let's uh, let's begin talking specifically about some of the aspects of your work. So let's go straight to the uh, the gender issue and the apologies to the divine feminine and how that came about and why it's so important. Yeah, I mean I, that piece was a culmination. I feel like I had been building towards that piece for many, maybe even lifetimes. And you know, I had some calling to write it a few years earlier, and I didn't feel quite ready to put that out there. And um, but you know, I in my on an individual level in my journey, I made a, a shift from 
a pretty armored warrior consciousness, um, in an urban warrior, obviously, but in the direction of something else. And, you know, I had a profound love experience that I wrote about in Soul Shaping that's sourcing some part of the book that I'm writing. And, and, and I was really cracked open. You know, my armor was penetrated. I chose to open. Um, and then the heartbreak, there was a decision to be made. There was heartbreak. The connection was an impossible connection. And, you know, I had a decision to make. And in that, and I either to go back to an armored way, which was so familiar to me, or to allow myself to remain open and to deepen. And really the writing path came through the decision to open, to reopen in the heart of the heartbreak, which was so difficult for me. Um, I really wanted to go back to an armored consciousness on many levels. And so that was one step. And then, you know, I got, grew closer to my grandmother and began to sit with her and look at her and began to see the feminine in a whole different light. I really thought they were mostly just crazy. I mean... <laughs> They cared so much about how I felt, and I was doing everything I could to push my feelings away and stay in my warrior focus. And they focused so much on commitment, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And so there, uh, something happened to me where I began to understand. My witness developed in this way, that, that this feminine path, this opening path, the heartfelt path, the relational path was where it's at, and really was a profoundly courageous path, and in some ways more courageous than my armored path. I mean, you know, it's not easy for anyone on the planet, but I began to really play in that field, and um, the apology just emanated from that deepening awareness. So just help our, our listeners understand in, in, in the apology what, what the actual apology is and and how it uh, softens, if you will, the armor uh, that we wear as men and how it helps us relate better to the feminine. Let me just read a quick paragraph from it to contextualize it. Perfect. Uh, I apologize for my inability to distinguish the benevolent warrior from the heartless warrior, a reflection of my own confusion dealing with the battlefields of yore. When I opened my heart too wide, I was vulnerable to attack from warring factions. I was conditioned to believe that I had to stay rigid, focused, prepared for any eventuality in the desire to protect myself and others from attack. But I went too far and closed too tight and eradicated the bridge between our hearts. I'm seeing this now, and I'm sorry. So, you know, part of it is simply for the masculine to acknowledge and apologize for misbehavior towards the feminine, very simply. But it's also to contextualize the behavior so that, you know, and I think this is why the piece went so viral, because it, you know, it's one thing, I mean, women, it's nice to be apologized to, but I think women really have a deeper interest in understanding where behavior came from, you know, and I think we need that. We need to reveal ourselves cross-gender if we're going to improve the way that we relate to one another. And uh, so, so much of the piece is really an attempt to contextualize the behavior of the masculine. And, and you said earlier about potentially stepping back into the armor. Why is it uh, so comfortable? Why do, why do we men, when we come under sort of some sort of pressure or emotional stress, go back into the armor? Well, it's, it's habitual. It's familiar. It's, it's how we've survived on the planet. And I think on a deeper level, it's still essential in this wild, animalistic, scary, survivalist world. I had this experience just before 9-11 happened. I was at Harbin Hot Springs in California, and I wrote about this in Soul Shaping, but I was doing all of this opening work. And this is really where my, my soul made the decision to reopen after the heartbreak and release all of the holdings and just come to some clarification. Harbin was a very safe feeling place for me in many ways. And... Um, 
And, you know, so I, by the time I, in, in the heart of that, the call to write, so it was time to write. It was the calling to call, write the book was the next step of my journey. And so I came, flew back to Toronto and started to write and was lost in the writing for a few weeks. And the 9-11 happened and I went right back to vigilance. You know, I could hear my inner chatter, my narrative saying, you know, this, these things you're writing about, are these subtle considerations are of no use to anybody. This is all esoteric nonsense. The world needs your armor. And, uh, my consciousness shifted back so quickly, and part of it was because it was habitual, and part of it was because the reality of the world is that this subtle work we're attempting to do to become more receptive and vulnerable is out of step with the survivalist world that we're still living in. And, uh, and it's a courageous journey because it's the very beginning of the shift from survivalism to authenticity as an orienting principle of the culture. And so it's all of that. You know, it's, uh, it's habit, and it's still required. I think. So having stepped back, how did you reopen again? What happened? Uh, I, I think just the in, the intensity of the 9-11. I really felt that really strong. I mean, I, I really couldn't stop watching those images. I just was really so in that, and uh, I, I was startled. I mean, I was a North American consciousness. I mean, we had never really seen anything like that. You know, somehow other people had seen it all kinds of versions of that, but we hadn't, and I just think I went back to the writing, and uh, the writing was my next step. Sacred purpose was my way to connect to divinity, my way to express my own divinity, to find my way to that. And so the more I come back to purpose and the more I get lodged in my calling, the more I come back to a more open consciousness. Now, having said that, what I've also learned writing and bringing my work into the world and dealing with negativity and, ch- and all kinds of things is that my armored consciousness, you know, I, I always, Peter, I'd always bifurcated it. It was either I was going to be armored or I was going to be leave the city and my life and go out into the country and go to a retreat center and get open. And uh, the, the interesting thing that's happened is I've realized that my dissing of the warrior was necessary, but really wasn't true. The warrior wrote the, wrote the book too. <laughs> you can't, you can't bring your work out into the world without some edge. It's very, very difficult in this field. And so now I feel like I'm holding, trying to hold and pretty effectively holding that I'm coming from benevolence in my intentionality, but that I'm still throwing my weight around where necessary in order to bring my work into the world. So it's an interesting marriage now. That's that's a great way of putting it. Thanks, Jeff. We're coming up to our first break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Are you living your happy life? Are you looking for something more fulfilling? Tune in every week for Living the Shift, our evolution of mind, body, and spirit with your host, Angela Coulter. The worldwide economy has changed the way that we view and live a traditional happy life. 
The spiritual and metaphysical world does provide some guidelines, but many of us have no real understanding of these and what they can do. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, where you'll see all of my work, my uh, newsletters, monthly work on the Landscape Zodiac, and also all of the radio shows archived there. And also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com, which is our journey through the heart as we unfold on this magnificent path that we are all on, although it doesn't always feel that way. My guest today is Jeff Brown, and before the break, Jeff was talking about the article that he wrote about the apology to the divine feminine from a warrior in transition. So we're both men, Jeff, but let's just have a little (laughs) chat about the female side of this and what your experience is of of their response to and how they're handling this warrior in transition. Uh, To the piece itself or just to the state of the male consciousness? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. My experiences, and it may be, um, you know, primarily connected to the work that I'm doing and who's gravitating towards that work, is that the feminine is just growing profoundly, um, empowering and, and liberating. And, you know, I feel like women, in my experience, were much more willing to settle for something that they're not willing to settle for anymore. And um, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, they want it all. Um, and they don't want to be plagued and limited by duties, roles, and obligations in the same way as they were before. And, you know, I think there's a real frustration in the feminine because the feminine is rising. The divine feminine is rising, and, I, and I'm delighted by it. I think that, you know, if, if we let the unhealthily egoic masculine rule the world, we're, we're not going to be here for much longer. So the feminine is rising, and I think there's a real frustration with uh, the fact that many of our brothers aren't moving very quickly and are still trapped in armored consciousness. Now, as a male, I have compassion for that. I don't see it simply as the dude doesn't want to work on himself or the dude won't come to therapy or the, you know, I I think it's much, we have to understand this in a deeper way and contextualize it. And I think the masculine is very vigilantly aware, even on unconscious levels, that the world is still a scary survivalist place and that they have a duty and that that duty really where they belong on the planet, despite the outcries of the feminine for them to shift in a more relational direction, is um, is in a vigilant consciousness. And uh, as the world changes, as rule of law takes over and as it becomes a safer place, survivalist vibration is less obvious. I think the masculine will naturally happily let their armor fall away and so I think that it's complicated, and the uh, and I understand the frustration the feminine experiences, but I think we really need to move to a place where we have dialogue from a much deeper place 
about what what's actually happening. And for that to happen, the men have to become at least aware enough to be able to articulate why it is that they don't want to open as much as the feminine wants them to. And that itself requires some vulnerability. It and, does. And, and, That's and, the problem. Yeah. If they could do a little more work, um, then they could at least express it in a way that I think the feminine could embrace and understand that this is, you know, that it's not just about them not wanting to go there for some narcissistic reasons. Sometimes it's because they actually see themselves as protectors on some level in their families or communities, and they really need to maintain their armor in order to, to uphold that, that position, you know. Yes, and uh, we we really offer our blessings and love to all those men who are prepared to to give this a go. Because to me, it's a it's a critical step. I totally agree with yep. you that it feels like the women are already on their way. Yeah, and uh, we've got some catching up to do. And just being vulnerable and opening the heart is critical, isn't it? We do. And the irony is, and this is where I get very honouring towards the masculine, is that the fact that the feminine can do this work so often is because they're living in a safe enough environment, partly and largely, or to some extent, largely because of the masculine's protective nature, so that structures have been built. I mean, both genders have obviously built the structures, but there's a way in which the it's ironic for me that the I see the woman in the house getting upset that the dude won't open, and then she goes and, and does the workshops and reads the books and has profound spiritual sexual openings, and everything starts to enliven. And, you know, one of the reasons they can do that is because it's safe enough to do that. And hundreds of years ago, and in many places of the world still, those that work couldn't even be begun because the physical environment wasn't safe. Yeah. So let's give our brothers a little credit for creating the space. Of course, they've created the space where now they're getting attitude for not opening <laughs> because the feminine is now moving so far ahead of them. But... Um, you know, I, th I think we have to find a way to develop just a deeper understanding of what's really happening below the superficial understanding we often have of it. And, and it is all part of an evolution, isn't it? So it, it's, it's about compassion and understanding each other's yeah. uh, perspective. We're in this together and to come back to we're in this together and to understand that, you know, men have, men have suffered so much, too, in, in the, the role. Even, even the powerhouse men, egoic, powerful men who have exploited and so forth, not to be overly compassionate towards them, but, you know, many of them died young. Many of them lived a life without their heart open. I mean, are you, you know, love is the gateway to the moment. And uh, if your heart isn't open, you're not really here anyway. You're not really in the moment. You're not experiencing your life. You're just moving from one anxiety-sourced, egoic conquest to another. And uh, so, you know, nobody nobody wins when we're trapped in these polarities. Yeah, well, wonderful statement. And, and so let's let's move on. And, and, and I know one of the areas that you uh, have a great deal of experience in is uh, ungrounded versions of uh, spirituality or enlightenment, whatever you want to call that. And, and uh, tell us, tell us. I know this is a really, really important aspect of your work, and it's a really important aspect of our development. So talk yeah. about that for a bit. Well, you know, I really understand things in terms of grounded spirituality, and I'm, I'm working on a book that kind of puts forth that model over the next couple of years. And I, you know, I use the term enrealment versus enlightenment, and they can be the same thing, but quite often, you know, the term enlightenment has been defined and mischaracterized by kind of the paternalistic masculine or the heart-severed masculine or non-dual teachers who have conveniently removed their unresolved pain bodies, their personal identifications, their bodies 
their ego, including the healthy and necessary aspects of it from the equation. And, uh, you know, I use the term Western consciousness. This, that for me, the work is this quest for the uh, connection to unity, to understand our connection to the oneness, while at the same time really honoring the self, loving the magnificent self, you know, excavating all of its potentials and, and bridging that quest for the individual droplet of meaning with our understanding and feeling of unity. And, you know, I, I don't believe in non-duality where they're emotionally flatlined and uh, you can't feel any energy coming off them. Some of them can barely walk up to the stage. And to me, that's not, there's nothing non-dual about that. That's a, a very singular threaded version of non-duality. If you're going for real non-duality, if in fact that's really what we're here to do, and that's a good question, you have to include everything in the field, and it means you have to work the pain body. You can't just sit back and watch it and say that's resolution. Because in the heart of that pain body, in the transformation of your issues, the issues that continue to plague you in your life, that's where you transform and actually grow in your spirituality. So that's the irony of ungrounded non-duality, that it removes the fodder, the grist for the soul mill, the material that you need in order to become a more non-dual being uh, from the table. You know, we're not here just to be in the emptiness and float away from our bodies, witness and watch them. We're here to live in our bodies. Detachment's a tool, it's not a life. And, and my work really is about trying to clarify how it is that we bring all of that together. And we'll come back to the emotional pain body in a minute, but I, I know one of the things you did was incredibly courageous, which was to put out a spiritual documentary called Carmageddon. Mm. Tell, our list, tell our listeners a bit about that. Yeah, that's a, a film that uh, is available at karmageddonthemovie.com, and we just finished the festival phase, phase at a pretty uh, exciting but controversial stage. It's just a movie about my journey with a pretty well-known American spiritual teacher and chanter named Bhagavan Das, who was made famous in Ram Das's Be Here Now, and he was the guy who brought Ram Das to Maharaji. And, and he just ended up at my house, and so we started to film a journey with me and him, and the journey went through all kinds of different places and uh, really is ultimately a film about my trying to clarify the distinction again between ungrounded spirituality, you know, the presentation of spirituality where there's integrity issues versus a form of spirituality that has integrity and has solidity and is properly integrated. And it's really my own journey or quest for that understanding. And you really revealed yourself in, in that movie. I did. Uh, talk about vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah, so the, 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 so you're talking really about the danger or the risk of the, the modern-day guru. Can, can you explain to our listeners the attraction and then the ultimate realization of what's going on? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the, everyone's attraction is different. You know, I reveal kind of where my pull was. I mean, I mean, Bhagavan Das has a lot of positive qualities as well that pulled me into him. I enjoyed the dialogues a lot with him, and I enjoyed his the, the liberated parts of his consciousness. And but you know, so often we're we're really not taught to find the God self in the mirror. We're such a shamed collective, and we all carry so much shame and self doubt. And so, but we seem comfortable projecting. We need, we need to find God somewhere. And we want it tangible, so it's pretty easy, especially for people who grew up without satisfying um, parental or authority figures to project that onto other individuals. And some of them are, you know, have come to a lovely place in themselves. They're certainly not realized. I've never met anyone like that, but they're awakening. And uh, it, and they can model wonderful things to us and remind us, really, of something that's possible in the vibration of their energy. And, and others uh, work it for their own egoic and narcissistic and benefit. And uh, it's a perilous path when you 
get involved with a guru for all kinds of different reasons. And I, I don't know if some people say the day of the guru is over. I don't actually believe that's true. I still think we're going to keep projecting onto other. But ultimately, the work is to find the God self staring at us in the mirror. And uh, I think my time with Bhagavan Das really helped to solidify that realization. And so from your perspective, it's it's much more about doing our own inner work and, and coming to terms with uh, our own inner emotional body as it is reflecting someone else. You know, if you get disappointed enough from the out, outer world individuals, you know, you can either get completely pessimistic about life or you can wake up and realize that you need to stop looking at it for it in somebody else and start finding it in yourself. And, uh, you know, it's almost a cliched way of saying it, but I, I think that's the truth of it. You know, it's uh, we, we, we really are God seeds. God seeds often planted in the wrong fields, but there is just so much magnificent in our inner garden. And uh, we're not, you know, the problem is the ungrounded spirituality move, moves us away from honoring the individual self. It's egoic. You're lost in your ego if you think you're an amazing, magnificent God seed. <laughs> but, but we are. Uh, you don't want to go so far in the direction of that that you're narcissistic and not aware that you're but one God seed amongst billions. But at the same time, if you can't get to the point where you're loving and honoring this wonderful self-temple that you and God created, then you've got a problem. Um, and you can't be having a spiritual experience without a self. And I think the ungrounded spirituality movement is determined to eradicate the self because most of the people teaching it have so much pain in their bodies that they don't want to feel the self anymore. It's a self-avoidance masquerading as enlightenment. It's all over the, the place. <laughs> That's a good, a good expression. Jeff, we're coming up to our second break, which we'll take now. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Your 
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just want to take the opportunity to thank my sponsors for this series of shows, Shari Chase of Chase International Real Estate Company in beautiful Lake Tahoe and Reno, Nevada. And also Brandy Jackson, my producer of this show, and Matt, who is the uh, regular engineer on the show, for providing the opportunity for us to bring these wonderful spiritual guests to you, for you to discern and connect with and relate to and take from whatever show, whatever you feel is appropriate for you. And I'm absolutely delighted to have with me on the show today, Jeff Brown, who is doing wonderful work in helping us really begin to understand how we can move through this journey of life into enrealment, as he calls it, rather than enlightenment, enrealment. So let's talk about that. And and you've written a book uh, recently, Jeff, called Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, which is another – you have a great way with words, by the way. You have some great titles. And uh, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, what does that mean? It means, uh, you know, I really wanted to have an experience, say, of the God self um, that was sustainable. I didn't want a bliss trip. Bliss tripping, I always came crashing back back down to earth like a bird with one wing. Um, Head tripping didn't help me a whole lot. Um, And just trying to find, like, see God as something separate from the human fray didn't help me. Um, What really worked for me was uh, working my way up from the root chakra, and dealing with my issues, my real issues that were held in my body and the emotional material that was affixed to particular areas in the body. And I did a lot of body-centered psych work with Alexander Lowen and holotropic breath work. And really what I was trying to do was clear the emotional body through the physical form. Uh, I make no distinction between the emotional and physical body. And um, and for me, what, what happened was the more work that I did, the more clarified I got, my movement upward, say upward, and I'm not sure even upward's the right term for it. I mean, it's almost like a, a relational horizontal path in many ways. But, but let's say upward so that I would meet the God self from a sustainable foundation. I was there for the right reasons. I wasn't there because I was trying to get out of my body and out of this crazy planet. That's just detachment stuff, useful at times, but not ultimately sustainable. I wanted to craft a self that was able to meet my higher self, let's say, or my more complete self in a way that was lasting. And, uh, and I found the way to do that was to do the work in my body, in the practical world, and also to do, very importantly, the work around my unresolved pain body, my emotional body. Not just to witness it. Sometimes you've got to witness it because it's too much and the world is too much. Um, but eventually to come back down into my body and work through material and issues, both because working through it created space inside for my ultimate sacred purpose to reveal itself, because there was more room, and more breath for it, but also that in the heart of that, moving through those issues, really trying to transform them, that's how I transformed my spiritual lens. I matured in my spirituality to the extent that I worked my material. I said in Soul Shaping, repressed emotions are unactualized spiritual lessons. So to me, that was the work. Um, 
You know, I, I had a wonderful dialogue with Maui a few years ago with Ram Das, where, you know, I kept saying, well, how do you grow in your spirituality if not through your work with your family history? And he didn't want to do the family history stuff. He said, well, you have a stroke, you know, you have a car accident, you, you know, some major event that forces you back into reality, let's say. And I kept at him and said, I don't think so. I, I mean, I obviously that can do it, but, you know, maybe you just got to work your stuff, you know, and if you work your stuff, you grow up, you grow down to grow up and... He agreed with me, actually, at the end of that conversation. It was, I wish we'd actually taped it. And, because I think this is at the heart of my view, of, of my understanding of what spirituality is. And ascending with both feet on the ground includes all of the emotional work through. So when, when we're talking about repressed emotions, um, they're repressed, so they're sort of in that, that pain body. They're, in, they're stuck somewhere in, a, in our emotional system, in our physical body as well. Right. How, how do you start accessing them when you don't even know that they're there? Well, you ha- you have to. I mean, if you have no, you you, you have to have some faith that uh, either because the schmuck on the radio show is telling you to do it, or because <laughs> you have a sense that you're so bloody unhappy that there's something missing, to, to embark on a journey, a willingness journey to do some therapeutic work. And you know, often it starts with talk therapy because that's safe, just safe enough for many of us. And I did that for many years, and it was incredibly helpful to me. But eventually, it wasn't adequate. I couldn't get to the anger. I couldn't get to the deeper levels of grief. And and I couldn't get to the deeper characterological patterns. And so I started to do body-centered psychotherapy, bioenergetics work, core energetics work a little bit, um, holotropic breath work. And my most greatest transformations happened through the body-centered work. It was scarier. It was way more rigorous. It required a much deeper level of commitment, but like with everything, that's where the real transformation happened. And um, so I encourage people to start getting involved in some therapeutic process with someone that feels resonant, interview therapists and find someone that fits. And if they're ready to get into body-centered psychotherapy right away, just find a body-centered psychotherapist, even a Hakomi therapist who works in a more of a Buddhist and more subtle way just to begin to develop an understanding of the connection between their patterns and how they live inside of the body itself. And when you start accessing this and, and working through it and transforming, how, how does that change you? How, how, how are you different? Well, you're, you're, it's your lens changes to the moment. You know, I mean, when you clear all that debris, you calm down. You become more naturally meditative. You don't have to sit on a cushion trying to create peace. You, you know, the thing that's not allowing you to feel peaceful is all the toxicity you're holding in the body. And, and the monkey mind is merely a reflection of an unresolved physical and emotional body. So you move this material, you know, in the physical form and you calm down and you clarify. And, you know, a lot of ways you've understood reality that were born in those holdings um, start to get revealed as, as false or, you know, essentially untrue reflections of one particular lens, but not that reflects your true or essential self. And, and the deeper you go, the, the wider your lens. And then eventually you feel like you're living inside of a different body. And how, how do you uh, see the connection between this aspect that we're talking about now, the emotional body, the pain body, and your spiritual unfolding, your spiritual life, whatever you want to call that? 
Well, if I think here's an, a wonderful example is is that you know after this woman and I disconnected that I wrote about in the, in the love book, you know I had a choice between going back to the warrior consciousness or surrendering to the feeling of this abandonment trigger, which was very deep in my history, and was exactly what I felt in the connection to her through her own behavior and pushing off of the connection and being unable to sustain or hold it safe. And so I had a choice, and by deciding to go deeper into the wound to courageously feel deeply what that wound was rather than using my typical avoiding the wound trigger mechanisms. Um, Going through that tunnel as deeply and as completely as I could go through it, at the end of it was the call to write, for example, which was fundamental to my sacred purpose. I never would have been satisfied in my life if I hadn't honored this calling. So... And the key to it was my willingness to work through something. Somehow at the end of that emotional process was the next step on my spiritual journey and, and was a shift in me. Not that the, the wound material is completely gone or can't be triggered or anything silly like that, but really was a, a, a deepened experience of the moment, um, one that wasn't so frazzled and so lodged in you know, these very primal triggers that were in many ways ruling my life and obstructing my path. And I just became a more mature spiritual being because of my willingness to take on my emotional issues. And I think the point you've made there is critical, is that when you can clear the debris, you can somehow spiritually be clearer. And so things that you are supposed to be connecting with and happening all just seem to come into play, don't they? Well, that's it. But the other piece is um, that you, you create space for your next step in your path to reveal itself, and you have energy to live it now because it's not all the energy is not going into repressing material. But the other piece of it, which is really important, is that you actually become more capable of the next level in your spiritual journey because you've matured by working an issue through rather than staying lodged in the issue and backing off uh, from doing the deeper work every time the issue appears, right? So if you have an abandonment wound and all you keep doing is going to eat ice cream until the wound fades, you're not going to mature. But if you're willing to jump into the depths of that wound, tweak the wound yourself, actually, and try to get to the source of it and heal some part of you in the heart of it, you're going to change as a spiritual being. I mean, how do we grow in our spirituality if not through our interface with our issues? I mean, what? I mean, just a cerebral awareness, some moment of great realization. I mean, uh, some aha moment that doesn't include the pain body. I mean, to me, that's those are little glimpses, but nothing compared to what's possible when you go back down inside of yourself and and craft a new lens. And and when you do that, how, how does that affect the collective vibration, the collective consciousness? Well, I, you know, I don't. I'm not so so. Um, I'm more into like specific impact. So for me, in my case, it means that I become a writer that work helps people. So that's how I, you know, I don't know the the whole other part of it that I transform and therefore that transforms the collective vibration. I haven't ever had that experience. I'm more. I maybe I'm too practical or something. But but it, <laughs> but it affects your behavior and it affects your interface with humanity. And in that way, it absolutely affects the collective. And your expression of your writing then, without doubt, has impact on other people who are ready to go through that process. Right. That's Yeah, and now it's a calling out to those so many people around my work now that are, uh, you know, needed a, a, a feeling that it was possible or needed to find, hear the right languaging for it. Or, you know, there's so many people we gravitate towards that call us to the next stage. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't feel like I'm writing just for me anymore. You know, when I wrote Soul Shaping, I... 
I was in a way, but now I understand. I see the immediate impact. Social media is creating a wonderful opportunity for us to know whether or not what we have to say is of value because if you write a piece and it gets mass shared, you know it touched somebody. Thanks, Jeff. We're coming up to our final break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have with me today Jeff Brown, who's giving us a wonderful insight into life and and how it's evolving and how it's there's this incredible richness and juiciness. If only we can go there inside our own our own selves. So, Jeff, just uh, let our listeners know how they can connect with your work and some of the exciting things you've got going on. Yeah, soulshaping.com is my main website. Although Bluehost is down today, so it's not up, but it'll. Uh, it'll be up for the most part. Um, and I also have a related website, loveitforward.net, for a, a new distribution pipeline that we're creating to integrate economically challenged people back into a workforce. And so, and that will be, it's up now, but it'll be more active cause related and focused in the next couple of weeks. So soulshaping.com is the main, the main, main website. Main website, loveitforward.net, secondary site, yeah. Absolutely. And the Carmageddon movie? Carmageddonthemovie.com, which you can get to right off the top link on soulshaping.com. And you also have a little group called Open Heart Gang. Who are they? Yeah, I have an Open Heart Gang. I got a lot of groups on on Facebook. If if you go on soulshaping.com on the upper right, there's links to all the groups and fan pages and, uh, and all that stuff. And Open Heart Gang is just 
just a benevolent gang with a heartfelt intention. We, we, our movie was put out by us as Open Heart Gang Productions, and we, uh, I've been quiet on that page lately, but we'll get more active on that once Love It Forward gets moving. Now, having gone, done, done all this inner work that you've been involved in and, and moving forward on your own inner journey as well as your outer journey, I know that your dad passed away quite recently. Mm. And from, from your writings on your blog, that obviously had a profound effect on you. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? No, I don't mind. Um, yeah, he died at the beginning of July um, quite unexpectedly. And, uh, you know, we had a, you know, whenever you grow up on a battlefield with people, you're always close to them. I mean, it's, that's the interesting, one of the levels of experience that I've had is that although we were aloof from one another intermittently over the last many years, uh, I feel and felt much more deeply connected to him than I even knew consciously. And, um you know, and I've, I've, there's nothing like the loss of a parent. I don't, uh, it's almost hard to articulate it. It's, uh, it, it, it goes in so deep, so primal, and so many memories and feelings and, and internal chaos, and then, and then moments of pure delight. I mean, I have never had a better relationship with my father than I do right now. I, I feel like I'm connecting to his spirit, but really more connecting to the, the essential part of him that I, I knew existed and was connected to internally, but it was blocked by all of the events and, and fears. And it's almost like the little boy inside of me isn't afraid anymore. So now I'm allowed to love him because he's not here in his physical form. And uh, so many levels to it, Peter. You know, I know you lost your dad, and I know you know what I'm talking about. And you know, and he, he just going into his unit and having to clear out his apartment and all of the poems and writings and. And really understanding how I've really carried forward his longing to be a publicly known writer was, you know, he and he just couldn't quite find it, and he didn't know how to interface with humanity in that way. And it's really quite a poignant thing. And I'm going to actually pull some of his writings out and put them in my next books. Um, so I'm having a very loaded and charged and pretty profound experience of his passing. And so, in terms of of his passing and that transition into his death. What have you learned about life? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a crack open. It's like many crack opens. And in a way, it's one of the deeper, you know, love and death have cracked me open more than anything. And, uh, you know, just a much more, um, I mean, I've, all, I've really grown into an appreciation of the moment, and I understand the fleeting nature of life. And it's part of what gets me moving to embark on the purposeful journey to do my writing, to get through stuff as much as I can. And quickly as I can, but, you know, it, it is just a, a more, um, there's something about the loss of the parents. Even though I was much technically closer to my grandparents, the loss of the parent really brings us so deeply face-to-face with our mortality. And, you know, at first, my first reaction was, oh, God, why couldn't I have done better to try to bridge the gap to his to him, even though he was a very difficult person? And I, um, I've stepped back from that. You know, I, it was shaming, and it wasn't really true. I mean, we're we're here in human form. It's we we can't speak from essence fully yet. You know, we sometimes they need to die for us to be able to say things. This is just the truth of the human conditions when people are frightening, particularly from the child self's perspective. But but to at least internally understand that this quest for a more essential experience of life outside of adaptations and disguises and how we get through life, to keep coming back to a center that exists independent of that, how much more important that is, the realization about that after his passing, because if you really begin to understand that we're only here for a minute before we're gone. 
And we've got to work through every minute and just bless every minute and love every yeah, minute, man. save, I mean, every, save that, every minute. <laughs> imagine that in the world that we're moving towards, I believe, we'll really understand what it means to be in gratitude every moment. And uh, it's hard in a hard survivalist world to feel that way. It would be foolish to feel that way. It would be foolish to not detach from the pain body sometimes. You'll die at four years old to embrace some of the madness you've seen. But, but ultimately to come back to a place where we genuinely feel grateful for our lives. It feels like that's our birthright and that that's the great gateway. We reach that stage, we're living on a whole different planet together. Absolutely, yeah. So let's 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 return uh, as we began by talking about love and the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine dance. Just tell us about deep the deepest most profound love and what that is. Well, I had an uncommon bond. You know, I I, I and I'm that I'm writing a book called An Uncommon Bond, and uh, I'm going to differentiate this this term. I'm getting a little bit clearer in the languaging of it from, say, twin flames or traditional soulmates, just to really understand what that is. But, you know, it was a profound crack-through uh, into a more unified and expanded consciousness. It was a landscape of delight and horror, the glory and the gory. Um, it was really the understanding that love, like death, is this great opening um, to a connection to the everything, not the fragmented self, but the real non-duality, where you're... And it's a shock to us, because we're conditioned to believe that romantic love means we're going to be smiling all the time, and, and you ultimately <laughs> realize how moronic that is when you actually really have a real love experience. Because, of course, if it's really that deep, it's going to crack you into the collective field of everything. And uh, that happened to me, you know. And there was the woman I was with. Uh, I barely could sustain it, and she couldn't sustain it. I was 36. She was 25. And if you read on common bond literature, people in their 20s and even in their 30s very seldom can hold it because you have to have a strong self to come home to and because there's so much merging and loss of self in the heart of the connectiveness. And so, you know, the work is to build the strong self, the girder strong enough so that when you evaporate into essence, you have someone to come home to. Um, and that, that's something that I came to realize through that journey. And, and so really the book is about this, a relationship just like this. You know, I do it as a, based on a true story, but not exactly the, the story. And the question was and continues to be where I take them after the breakup. And uh, I have my answers, which I won't talk about now. But, you know, it, it is about grounding in the self enough so that if that love returns back into your life, you can actually hold it safe. And then once you are on your own and the breakup has happened um, yeah. and you've been through these experiences, uh, I guess you've, you have a different sense of relationship, don't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, it becomes difficult to energize around a more pragmatic love, let's say. Um, you've, you know, you've been with the beloved and you've, and you ultimately have to find the beloved within you. And that really did. I mean, it's cliche, but it did happen for me. I really had to find that. And the writing helped me. I had to find the deeper love in the calling. And that's what happened to me. And, and then, you know, on the one hand, you become more humane so that you're not expecting so much from another person. But on the other hand, you have had a taste of this profound opening and it becomes more difficult to settle for anything less. So you become in love with yourself. Uh, you just become in, in love with this life experience. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, uh, you want to convert, you want to be able to move from that. You want to sustain that feeling that you would have of 
you know, that we, the feeling we have when we're in love, and you want to be able to find that everywhere and not only with a particular individual igniting that for you. So, Jeff, we're almost at the end of the show, about a minute left. So I'd just like to give you the chance to have some uh, closing comments or a final summary of whatever comes through you. I, I really want to always want to encourage people to, um, especially in this overstimulated culture, to just create space to uh, work their way towards connecting to something they know to be their center. And I call it solitude and soul shaping. And I think it's the most important thing of all. I mean, we can talk about all kinds of heightened considerations, but for most people, they just need to begin where they are and where they are is needing more space to get more deeply acquainted with the true self that lives inside of them. And uh, that's mostly what I want to encourage. That's a great way to finish. I really, really appreciate your time today. You have a wonderful way of expressing difficult concepts, difficult senses, difficult feelings, but you've done a wonderful job today. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. So my guest next week is going to be Andrew Collins, who's quite well known in the field of ancient civilizations and specifically with the connection to many of the temples and stone structures to the cosmology, to the constellations and the star systems. And his particular main focus has been uh, through his book, The Cygnus Mystery, the connection between the ancient civilizations building of stone circles and temples to the Cygnus constellation, the swan in the night sky. So it'll be an interesting show with Andrew next week. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Jeff Brown and uh, have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tongue for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.